power. It shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God. A power that enables. A power that changes lives forever. The power of humility. The power of humility. I'm very proud to bring you this talk this morning. Uh, I've been working on humility for the last well, lifetime, really, as we all know. Uh, we all work on this one. But um, humility is a new Christian and a New Testament phenomenon. Inasmuch as when you become a Christian, you're introduced to something that's completely radical to the way the world thinks, and that is that uh, the way up is the way down, and that weakness is not meekness, but turning the other cheek is the way of the kingdom, and being a servant is to put the Lord first. Prior to Christianity, humility was an, really an unknown quantity in very short supply. You see, the nature of humanity is that we will always reflect that which we worship. And the Greek gods and the Roman gods of the day prior to uh, Christianity, this is outside of the Hebrew context, uh, saw their gods as being powerful, uh, arrogant, strong, always taking and seeking dominion over those around them. And so when Jesus turns up and says, blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek, that was a complete contradiction to the likes of what they had never heard before because they were being told, this crowd was being told that the way up is the way down and servanthood is going to conquer the world. And so it's a complete contrast to the way the world used to think. And so when we think of Christianity and we think of Western society and how we value humility, uh, it's actually a phenomenon of only the last 2,000 years. Because it used to be that if you were good at something, you had to announce that. Even better, get someone else to announce it. And, uh, and you would make your way in the world because you were good at something, and therefore you were allowed to be proud of this. So humility is very much a Christian phenomenon. Now, I want to introduce you to a couple of characters from history who learned a few lessons in humility. This is Walter Cronkite. Now, Walter, for decades, was the voice of American radio and television, uh, probably made famous in his most uh, compelling uh, news article that he brought when he told the world about the assassination of JFK, John, John F. Kennedy. But uh, Walter said that he had a real wake-up call one day about how it is that his ego was getting a little bit inflated. He was out on his yacht, he was going down a relatively tight estuary, and a boatload of people went beside him and uh, were yelling and waving at him. And uh, just a moment later, his boat hit the sand. And his wife leaned over to him and said, uh, Walter, do you know what those people were yelling out to you just a moment ago? And he goes, they were going, hello, Walter, hello, Walter. And she goes, no, dear. They were saying, low water, low water. <laughs> he figured at that time that uh, he was thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. 
Um, another person that most of us will, will know in history is uh, Sir Winston Churchill. Here he is um, celebrating the fact that he's given up smoking. Um, but uh, he was approached by a woman one time after he had done this speech and the hall had been absolutely packed. And the woman said to him, are you astounded, are you amazed that even in your old age you still fill a hall like this to overflowing? And he said, my dear lady, if I was to be hanged by the neck until I'm dead, there'd be twice as many people here. <laughs> so Winston Churchill, uh, we know him to be a, uh, a guy who was a, a great leader, but he also knew his own frailties without any doubt. Well, the truth about it is that grace, which we looked at last week, the grace of God and how the grace of God is given to us through the cross of Christ, this grace leads to humility. There's no other way but to humble ourselves before a God who has given us everything. And this is where this initiation or introduction to humility actually begins because we are told that we can't make it on our own, that we have been given the gift of salvation and it's ours to receive. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. We'll never deserve it. And so therefore, from that moment, as we bow our knee to the foot of the cross and realize that Christ died in our place, taking our sins, at that point and only at that point does humility, true humility begin because we actually see what it is that we are and we see what it is that Christ is and what he has done for us. But throughout scripture, there's always been the sense in which God has taken the least to try to prove to those around them at the time that the least of these matter amongst you. And this again is a unique uh, part of that Judeo-Christian tradition that we've inherited because it makes all sorts of promises to us. Let's, let's just remind ourselves of some, some of these stories. Uh, this is in the book of Judges. This is about Gideon. The Midianites had overrun the nation of Israel and the, uh, and the Israelites were basically hiding out in their own country. And the story goes like this. It says, an angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So that was a promise to a guy who just was the absolute least of the least. And God specializes in this. And this is the unique thing, again, about this, this faith that we have, is that God is full of surprises. And when you write your own biography or you anticipate what your future might be, uh, that can be completely interrupted by what God has in mind for you. Unlike other religions where you're born into a caste system, uh, say within the Hindu faith, and there are literally dozens, 
and dozens of different castes that you can go into, depending on your birth, and you are destined to stay there. Doesn't matter how wealthy you get, you are still within that caste. Doesn't matter how educated you get, you are still within that caste. But right here in Judges, in the very early part of Scripture, we see somebody who's the least of the least, and God surprises this person, Gideon, by taking them out of oppression and makes them the leader who goes and wins the battle against the Midianites. And we find this story repeated again and again in Scripture. It means that we are all given this liberal dose of hope. Can you imagine what our world would be like If we said that where you were born, there you will stay. Our whole education system is built around this Judeo-Christian principle that the least amongst us can rise to the top. Do you understand? And we educate our people in a way that helps them achieve that. If they take the opportunities that are provided for them, they are given the opportunities and they may succeed. Whereas in a different religious context, it doesn't matter where you are, Go in life, you'll always be where you were born from. And so here we have this this humility that God actually works with, where he takes the least of of these amongst us. Another great story is, uh, of course, about Moses. Moses having been raised in the courts of Pharaoh uh, as as a champion of the Hebrew people. He decides to fight literally the battles for them, kills a Egyptian warrior, And then he finds that his own life is under threat and uh, he's taken way away from from Egypt out into the land of Midian. And there he marries a woman and settles down and becomes a sheep herder. But God isn't finished with him. You see, after 40 years of humbling him, God says, great, you're just about where I want you to be. Then it's my power on you. It's my resurrection for your life. And so this is the story. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who gave them, sorry, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. You see, again, the story, even when somebody like Moses has been given all the advantages of education and the privilege of being raised in Pharaoh's household, as the story explained to us, God still had to take this guy who was going to rescue Israel and take him on a journey that humbled him. And he gets to the point where he says, look, I I, I can't even speak. I can't do this stuff anymore. I've, I've never been good at it. He's got no confidence at all. God says, great. Great, I'm going to put my words in your mouth now and uh, you'll go from nothing to be something. Again, this breaks down those, those preconceived ideas that we can have of ourselves when we see God taking the opportunity to take somebody, anybody, and turn them into his vessel, his prophet in this case. So it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? There's a, uh, there's a saying, it's, a, it's a sort of a proverb, if you like, from the United States that says, If you've ever seen a turtle on a fence post, you can guarantee that it didn't get there by itself. Okay? If you've ever seen a turtle on a fence post, you can guarantee 
that it didn't get there by itself. Well, of course it's true. Turtles can't climb fence posts, can they? And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've been giving, given a million or $400 million. You didn't get there by yourself to get a start. So, let's have a look now at, um, at what Jesus had to say about this whole concept of humility, how he started to break down the mindsets of the people of the day that he was ministering to. Jesus said, have you ever heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, we look at this and we go, really, Jesus? It's just like being a doormat, isn't it? Isn't this a bit like being a doormat? If somebody's lording it over you and demands from you, beats you, you submit. The answer is yes, but no. You see, if somebody demands from you that which you won't give, that is you being oppressed. But if you've been asked for something and you give more than is asked for, you're taking your power back. You're taking your power back. So if someone slaps you in this case on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If somebody wants your shirt, give them the cloak. If somebody wants to demand that you carry their gear for them, carry it double the distance that was asked of you. Now you're getting your power back. Can you see the principle here? You're getting your power back. And that's what Jesus is saying to these people. Don't be humiliated in your, in, by being humbled this way, but allow humility to work for you that being humble, being meek, you actually get your power back. I think it's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing principle. Gentleness, kindness, these things that God tells us that we should be actually win the day. I, I go back to the days when I was playing rugby playing in the, in the front row. And what some of the best things that would happen to me on a rugby field were when, when I got punched in the head. And you'd say, well, what's so much fun about that? Well, I'd smile at the person who did it. In the front row, they'd, you know, we'd sort of tickle each other up a little bit. And he'd give me a good old whack in the chops. And I'd smile and I'd laugh at him. And then I'd make it my business to push him back as hard as I possibly could. That was really intimidating when they'd just given you the best shot that they could and, and you're laughing at them. See, I come from a family of boxers. The only thing I inherited was a thick head. <laughs> People can punch me all day long and it doesn't matter. But I couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag. So that's one advantage that I had. You've got to use any advantage you've got, right? Yeah, it's called using your head. Yeah. <laughs> And, and we've got to take seriously what Paul said uh, to the Romans. He said here, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Overcome evil with good. So bless those who curse you, we've been told by, by Jesus. Now this scripture is quite, quite interesting. It actually takes a little bit of unpacking. Um, you see there in the middle line, um, oh, actually the fourth line, Sorry, it's the third and fourth line. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what would happen in the Middle East in this time is there was a tradition that if you were um, entertaining people around your campfire in the evening, and then they were going to go home after having spent time with you, what they would do is they would get an earthenware pot. There was no other sort in the day. And uh, they would take some of the coals from your fire, and was best to carry them on, on your head like this. So what's actually happening is you're being told here that um, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. It's not like you're trying to s- sort of scalp them with, with fire. Uh, you're not trying to hurt them. You're actually trying to allow them to take some of the warmth of your fellowship that you've just shared. Even if they've been abusive, even if they've been horrible to you, you still offer to them when they go, just take some of the warmth of this fire so that you can go home and start your own fire really, really quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a way of actually blessing somebody. You're heaping coals on their head. They take home the warmth of the fellowship and the ability to start a physical fire. And so therefore, what uh, Paul is saying to people here is that if there's a real problem that you're trying to contend with, if people are treating you unfairly, uh, that vengeance belongs to God. And that just strips the enemy, strips the enemy of his ability to get into your head and into your heart and start messing with your life. Because there are times in life when things just aren't fair, where things go the wrong way, and you're burning up on the inside, and you wish you could change things, but you can't. If you try to say something, it's going to be misunderstood. If you try to push back, it'll be misinterpreted. And you live with this. And sometimes the scenario created that somebody who's offended you just lives rent-free in your head for months, or maybe even years, maybe even for a lifetime. Well, it's the old story. If you knew how much other people were thinking about you, you wouldn't worry so much about them thinking about you because their thinking about you is not worth thinking about. You see, the problem that you have when you have a problem is that the problem is yours and the person who gave you the problem doesn't actually have a problem that you're carrying the problem. So it's up to you to work before God to get rid of the problem. And having somebody living rent-free in your head because of an offense is never going to win you any form of victory at all. It's just going to cause your spirit to, 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 to sort of dry up and wither and die. But but God is saying, look, if we work in forgiveness, if we bless those who curse us, if we see this as actually getting our power back when we love people who aren't really that lovable at times, then you find yourself moving into that winning place. And that's what the kingdom is all about. You see, we're being told these examples of humility today because these were the character traits of those who we see as the saints of old. These were the character traits that separated them out from you and I, or from those around them at the time. And uh, the apostle Paul, he he always identified himself as somebody who was very um, unworthy, unworthy of what it is that he achieved and what it is that he was bringing as far as this Christian message is concerned. 
And verses such as this, Paul said to the Corinthian church, I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So Paul's got this long memory. He is remembering, reminding himself and his, and his audience that he was the guy who was chasing down the Christian church in the early days. He was the guy who was persecuting the church, locking them up, getting them in jail, and setting them up for all sorts of persecution until he gets struck down quite literally by the power of God on the road to Damascus, completely revolutionizes his life. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he tells them this. He says, look, I'm just the least of these apostles. Okay, I'm the least of these apostles. And again, he says to the Ephesian church, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. You see how he sees himself as the least, and yet he's been given this enormous treasure, this treasure of being able to share with the Gentiles this powerful, powerful message of the gospel. And so here is Paul walking in and living in and speaking through and ministering in love but in humility. You see, he didn't want anything from the gospel himself. He didn't want any fame. He didn't want any fortune. He just wanted to be able to share this message and not receive any accolades himself. He was walking and ministering in the opposite spirit to the way of the world. And in the Corinthian church, he came up upon people who were sharing the gospel who didn't see life through this humility. And Paul refers to them as the super apostles who are amongst you. These folks were demanding money. They were demanding prestige. They were demanding all the things that society said was normal for somebody who was a well-reputed teacher amongst them. But Paul said, look, this isn't the way it works. I come to you with nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that was Paul's sole message. So in humility, every part of his life was demonstrating that Christ crucified was all that was needed to be a follower of Jesus and the greatest reward of all. Again, Paul says uh, to his young friend Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. That's something else, isn't it? Really? Now, he's the guy, he, he knows that he's been a persecutor of the church. But I think there's something in this verse that tells us a little bit more about how Paul saw himself. He knew that his heart was deceitful above all things. He knew that he, was, uh, he could be rooted in pride. He, he was aware of all these enemies that his spiritual life could bring to him. When he could have those feelings about himself, which just put himself a little bit above everybody else. But Paul never saw it that way. And he had to keep on making public to those around him, to those he ministered to, that he was the least amongst them. He had the greatest debt that he owed Jesus because of the way that he had treated the church. And of course, all of this, all of this that we've talked about this morning from looking at, by looking at Paul uh, is really Jesus' example to us. We're getting down to the core of why it is that humility is such a, a powerful thing within the Christian church and within the Christian life. Paul records Jesus' example as this in Philippians. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here we have uh, the summary of, of, um, of Jesus' life through Paul here. And these are powerful verses. And when we talk about humility, these are usually the go-to verses, aren't they? And I, and I commend people to them because they require a huge amount of meditation. But they set up for us what it means to actually be that humble servant that should be looking to Jesus and copying what it is that he did for us. He came and he surrendered the, that glory of heaven. He surrendered that place with his father, with whom he co-created the world. And he was born as a child and came and dwelt amongst us. And from there, he actually was taken on this journey by God, which didn't lead to, lead to his exaltation. It lead, led to his humiliation. And out of that humiliation came his greatest strength, came his greatest work even to the point when, where Jesus was being taken to the cross. Uh, the scriptures tell us this in Luke. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I think this is the ultimate act of Jesus' humility. Simply because he chose not to explain what was actually happening. And he said this by saying, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't actually know that, that and they're killing me. They're setting up salvation for the whole world. So forgive them. Because this is your plan. This is my plan that I will be humiliated in this way. You know, it was a challenge for Jesus. It wasn't just simply uh, walking above the ground in some spiritual form. No, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though Jesus was fully God, he was fully man. And in his humanity, he wrestled in that Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He said, Lord, take this cup from, my, from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So he was there and he was in his flesh battling like, like anybody would. But then he gets to the point where after those who had beaten him and nailed him to a cross uh, were standing back gloating at him, he said a prayer to God. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing here. And no one fully understood, of course, how full and how complete that gift of salvation would be. So we're told here and we understand that the power of Jesus' humility has given us our salvation. So for us as Christians, um, humility has to be something that is active. It has to be something that is active. It's what we do on an everyday, on an everyday basis. It's something that we, we take from Paul and we take from Jesus, we take from the, the apostles, we take from those uh, Christians, sorry, those pre-Christians uh, that we looked at in the Old Testament. And it's actually something that is active in our lives. It's where we can prefer one another. Yeah, prefer one another. 
Yeah. And so when you go into your workplace, it's how do you, how do you serve people? Even if you're the boss, how do you serve people? What is it that can make your people feel really good about working for you as an individual? Okay? How can we, how can we make this something of God's design for the business that you're in? How can we make it something that's going to change your home? How can we serve? Because servanthood is the way of the kingdom. Servanthood is the way of the kingdom. And for us as Christians, um, we often get knocked back, even by those of us who are already Christians. We can have challenges in the life of a church where people can disappoint us, and we still need to walk in humility. I want to finish with uh, an example of this. I I actually preached on this um, a couple of years ago at a pastor's retreat, and uh, I was quite intrigued by how this resonated. There's a a passage in Colossians here, which I'll show you, and it's one of those passages that you normally would read, and you just go, yeah, what, I can't understand that, so I'll move on. Okay, here it is. Paul said, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And we all go, yeah, I know what that means. Well, it's a bit of a challenge, but what Paul is actually describing here is a state of his heart. Now, the easiest way for me to segue into this is just to give you a little example of what I'm describing, what Paul's describing here. Um, imagine you've just turned up to your annual Christmas family function, Okay. Christmas Day. It's a gathering of the clan. All right? There's your brothers and sisters, parents if you've still got them with you, nieces, nephews, aunties, uncles. Oh, no. There's Uncle. Uncle Jack. He's always giving us trouble. He's always stirring the pot in some fashion. He never brings anything to the dinner, but he moans about what there's to eat. Yeah? All right, drinks too much beer, Tells the kids off for running around making too much noise. He's a right party pooper. All right? And he sits down next to you as the meal is being prepared. And he goes, you know what? I think you could do better in life. You know, you haven't really done very well, have you? You know? What's that job you're doing? Oh, pastor. Oh, yeah. You only work 40 minutes a week, don't you? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> Spend the rest of the time going skiing. Yeah. Now you've had those conversations and you know in that moment, you know in that moment that you've got to make a choice. You're either going to turn to old Uncle Jack and tell him something, some honest truth that he needs to hear, or you're just going to suck it up and say, Well, how was your year, Jack? What did you get up to? Oh, that's nice. Now, in that moment, what you're doing is what Paul describes here when he says, I fill up in my flesh that which is lacking, still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. See, Christ's afflictions actually caused uh, what literally happens is all the sin of the world got poured into Christ. That was his affliction, okay? All the sin of the world. And so, therefore, after he has died, gone to be with the Father... Now there is still sin that remains. Jesus could have easily said at any given time, 
stop this process. I'm not going to go through with this humiliation. I'm going to push back and uh, call down angels from heaven. I'm going to destroy those who are trying to destroy me. Now, that temptation is for all of us. Because when Uncle Jack gives you a hard time, you say, I don't need to stand this. I don't need to tolerate this. Hey, are you guys sick of Jack giving us a hard time every time we meet for Christmas? He's the guy that buys the $2 presents while we give him the $50 presents. He's the guy that turns up with mushy peas when we bring steak and whatever. You could call down the wrath of the family upon Uncle Jack, couldn't you? But you don't. Because you think, I'm just going to wreck this for everybody. Yeah? You've been there, haven't you? And some of you are Uncle Jack and you know what I'm talking to. <laughs> Is there a Jack amongst us? Oh, I was trying to pick something neutral. So, this is really important. This is really important. Because it segues into what Paul is saying here. Paul, in many cases, found himself being intimidated, threatened, and challenged by the church. By people who saw the gospel differently. By people who said there needed to be more legalism. We've got to fulfill some of this old mosaic code. And then there were those who, like I mentioned before in Corinthians, just thought of themselves as super apostles and rubbished Paul's ministry. But what did Paul do? Paul just pushed back, said, no, this is, this is the truth, this is the way it is. But he didn't take it to the point where he blew everything to bits. And uh, when I spoke um, a couple of years ago at a pastor's conference about this, I called it the, the injustice of silence. The injustice of silence. And it's the sort of thing we need to talk about because Paul wants to talk about it with us. He's describing it here, this injustice of silence, when you have to just suck it up and let it be and allow vengeance to be God's. In other words, not vengeance like God's going to waste them or something, but God will take care of things. But sometimes it just takes time. It takes longer than you expect, but it takes time. Okay, and, and these are the things that happen in life. But Paul is describing here is a humility at a level where he was prepared to absorb the hits, absorb the criticism for the sake of the community, the church that he loved, the body of Christ. And so he's describing here a level of humility in maturity that says, I don't need to defend myself. I just take up in my body that which is lacking now because Christ has gone to be with the Father. I will be a suffering servant. I will be a humble servant. I will wash the feet of those who even abuse me, who, who, who misrepresent me. And in doing so, you actually build the church. Every one of you. Are you a doormat? No, we're not talking about being a doormat here. But there are times when you've just got to look at it and say, the best thing I can do here is suffer. The best thing I can do is suffer. Because if I try to unpack this, it's just too difficult. And there'll be more misunderstandings. It'll be like pouring petrol on a fire. And so there are times when you've just got to suffer. I know when I talk to this, these pastors about this, um, they understood that. Um, because... Anybody who's got 
any leadership role in the church or outside of the church knows that there are times you just got to take the hit, take it for the team. You know, your, your accountant walks into the office one day and just reads you the riot act about what we need and what we shouldn't do and why we shouldn't be doing it. And you know that he's just letting off steam. He's had a hard month, you know. But if you turn around to him and said, wow, that's what you think of me. Let me tell you what I think of you. He couldn't even add up two plus two. You know? Well, where's that going to take you? It's going to take him straight to the situations vacant paper on the internet, isn't it? You see, it's these sorts of things that Paul talks about. And this is what humility looks like. Does it make sense? Sometimes we're so bent on justice. You know, somebody sneaks into that car park just in front of you. You know, you want to give them a piece of your mind. Believe me, you haven't got that much to spare. (laughs) Honestly, just between you and me, I haven't. You know, and so you, you suck it up. That's the power of humility. A lot of you have done it with your kids. A lot of you have done it with your siblings. You choose your battles. You suck it up. And you look at Christ on the cross and you say, I think there's a balance in here between being abused versus building something bigger by the fact that I can absorb this suffering and allow it to pass by. Take it to Jesus. Make sure it doesn't live rent-free in my head and allow for the kingdom to be built in the way that Christ calls it to. Why don't we stand? God, we thank you that as we open scripture, once again we find ourselves looking at a mirror. And we go, there I am. There I am, that's me. And yet, Lord, in the midst of what we discover in your word, we find that there is power, and today it's the power of humility. The ability to be able to forgive, the ability to be able to serve, the ability to be able to look past and beyond that which may have hurt us, the ability to be able to absorb injustice for the sake of something bigger. And in Paul's case, it was the church. In our case, it might be for the family, or it might be in our workplace. It might be with friends where things that were said poorly need to be overlooked. It could be within our marriages where things don't go as well as we'd have liked, but we, 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 we receive that, Lord. We, we, in humility, take up that suffering that there might be another day tomorrow, otherwise it all ends here. And so, God, we, we look to you, and we look to the cross, and maybe those words that Jesus said, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing, maybe those words are ours as well. For in our time of that internal conflict, We've got to offer forgiveness to people who maybe should have known better, but they didn't. And and we offer forgiveness. And in that, Lord, the power of humility, we, we actually claim back our power. We claim back our place. 
and we can rest in your arms and the confidence that you've been there and you'll help us through. So we ask all of this so that Jesus will be glorified. Amen. Amen. So as um, uh, Jeff leads a song for us, uh, if you'd like to have some prayer over maybe some of these things that we've raised this morning, you'd like to get a few tenants cast out of your mind. Um, shouldn't use the word cast out, that sounds a little bit, bit heavy. But um, we have a prayer team here who would just love to stand with you and pray with you. So please take advantage of that.